Welcome to Rad Reading, a bookish podcast where the R stands for refresh and the D stands for discover, and where we try to help you do those two things for your reading life. I'm Ronnie Lauren, a best-selling romance author who likes her reading life to be big on variety and full of complicated characters. And I'm Dawn Alexander, an indie editor who never met a whodunit she didn't want to solve or an intricate plot she didn't want to untangle. We are two very different readers, but two very good friends who love to talk books. Join us as we tackle reading roadblocks, give our best bookish tips, and of course, recommend all the great reads that have kept us turning the pages that week. Let's get started. Welcome back to Rad Reading. I'm Ronnie. And I'm Dawn. And today we have a special guest for you. So we are welcoming Sierra Godfrey, who is a debut author. And um, say hi, Sierra. Hi. <laughs> so Sierra and I have known each other sort of online as writer friends um, for a long time, but this is our first time talking in person. So we're excited to have her on the podcast. Um, But her debut novel is called A Very Typical Family. It released in September. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her and then I'm going to let her, you know, introduce herself a little bit too. So when she's not writing books about messy families or working as a technical writer documenting software, Sierra Godfrey is reading, taking long walks and walking and working on her birding skills. Originally from Santa Cruz, California, she has lived all over the world, including Santorini, Greece, but now resides in the San Francisco Bay Area with her family, which includes a dog. And Leonard is doing a cameo to let you know about dogs in the background here. Um, (laughs) Two cats and a turtle, all of which seemed like a good idea at the time. So Sierra, I just, before you even get started, the fact you have birding skills means you and Dawn might not be able to be friends (laughs) because Dawn is terrified (laughs) of birds. Yeah. Well, birding is from afar. (laughs) I don't actually like to touch them <laughs> or have them <laughs> fluttering around me. <laughs> Just looking. Okay. Well, looking I think maybe Dawn can handle that from afar. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do through binoculars from a there safe distance. Like maybe. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> You've lived in like all pretty areas. I'm jealous. It's like, you know, I Santa Cruz and San Francisco and Greece. And I'm like, yeah, okay. My places have not been so pretty. So what brought you to Greece? Um, Well, my mom wanted to live in Europe and we moved to Europe when I was, I think, nine or 10 and um, made a go of it for a couple of years. And yeah, it was just a weird, crazy, amazing experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, So your debut novel is, we're going to talk today just to give y'all an idea of our topic is we're going to talk about women's fiction, which we haven't covered on the podcast before, but Um, your debut novel, A Very Typical Family, kind of falls under this umbrella. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so it follows the Walker family, which is based in Santa Cruz. And the story opens with main character Natalie, who's 32 and living in Boston. She's up for a big promotion at work, so she thinks. But instead, it goes to her boyfriend, who is now, in effect, her boss. And it turns out he's kind of been angling for it, even though he knew she wanted it. So meanwhile, that day, she also gets a letter telling her that her mother has died and she's inheriting the family Victorian in Santa Cruz, along with her brother and sister. The problem is she hasn't spoken to her brother and sister for 15 years. When she was 18, she got them both sent to prison after a messy night of chaos. So this fractured the family. So with that mess at work, Natalie goes back to Santa Cruz thinking, how how bad can this be, right? But there's her sister, Lynn, with a kid who serves as the bridge between the sisters. And uh, the brother, though, Jake, is missing. Um, So it's really a story about siblings and the hurt that we cause in our family units and ultimately about our concept of home. And it's also about the way that we choose as adults to have relationships with family members. 
Um, and I tried to make it a little funny and <laughs> with some hope at the end. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, what I would call a messy family story. Messy family story. That sounds great. Yeah. And, um, I love the idea of like the day of she finds out about this job, she also has this other thing happen. Cause I think in life, that seems to be how it happens. Like my family always says it comes in threes, <laughs> you know, we're like yeah. the bad things all tumble together. So, right. yeah. So that sounds like a lot of meaty things to work with. Um, mm-hmm. Did you always want to write kind of family stories or women's fiction? Is that really the genre you were drawn to? Um, It is, except I really started off writing more contemporary romance or Um, Mm rom-com. You know, the story started off much differently. Um, This is a a novel that started probably three or, well, maybe four or five years ago. And it started off much differently where my main character was out of the country and drawn back to her family home by death, but she was going through like a really messy marriage situation. Um, And, you know, the the story of the siblings kept creeping in as the strong meteor element. And eventually I realized that's the story that needed to be told. And I stripped out all the other stuff and um, then it really came together. And so um, you know, I knew that I knew from the very beginning, she had done something to destroy the relationship with her siblings. And um, it just really came together once I dug deeper into that and thought, what's the worst, worst thing she could do to her siblings? Mm-hmm. Adultery with the spouse is for sure probably <laughs> number one, but that wasn't quite right for this story. Um, but sending them to prison was. <laughs> yes, that's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, on the scale of things, like if I have a choice between the adultery and going to prison, I mean, you can have him go for it. I mean, just, one of my top goals in life is to stay out of prison. Oh, and mine so, too. Same, yeah. same. So what inspired the story? If you start, kind of started with one way, you said that the siblings kind of came in, but did you have an original like seed of inspiration of why this story? You know, I don't know that there was any one thing, but I think it was always about drawing my characters home and setting it in Santa Cruz where I was born, where I'm from and where I left, you know, probably around age 11 or 12 um, is always, it's always a sense of home. It's always a sense of like, that's my origin story. So setting it there kind of wrapped it up in that for me. And uh, it just, it, it reinforced and underlined that feeling of home. And I'm actually an only child, so I don't have siblings. So I think telling this story was also about, you know, me observing siblings throughout my life and thinking, you know, how, what, what makes them friends? Cause you know, you're born into this family structure and, and I even look at it with my own two kids, they, I have two sons and they're about five years apart. So there's a really big age range. Um, and they are in very different part times of their lives and they can't really relate. And I often wonder, you know, are you guys ever going to be friends? You know, it might take till they're like in their Mm thirties to get on this sort of even ground. And so that's one of the things I wanted to explore is, you know, what do we choose to be friends or, you know, our siblings friends. So it was always kind of a really interesting exploration for me of friends and home. 
That's an interesting angle because I find I'm an only child as well. I have step and half siblings, but I didn't grow up with any siblings in my household. Um, and I find that I tend to write only children without even realizing it over and over. I'm like, I don't even think to give them a sibling, you know? So it's interesting that you wanted to go and explore that because I, I think I'm a little intimidated by that kind of relationship. I see my husband has two sisters and, you know, see that interaction, but I think, well, I don't know how that feels totally because I've never had like in the same household, everybody, you know, kind of vying for attention and all of those things. Like I got all of the attention I didn't have to share (laughs) (laughs) and I have an only child as well. So that's the other thing, you know, I only have a son. So, well, I was just going to add, I think it's interesting because I'm also an only child. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so it's a, it's an interesting that all three of us are here and I have the same thing with my children, only I have the opposite of yours. Mine are 12 months apart. Oh, and they are very close, but it's odd. And when they were um, very young, when the like kind of bickering started, I would call my friend who's also an only child. I'm like, is this normal? Like they may actually kill each other. I don't know. And she's like, I don't know either. So I think exploring that relationship is probably a lot of fun from the outside, looking at it from the outside. It's a little different. Yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I've read books on siblings and I've, I've read that for, for parents who are only children, um, it's maybe a little harder to see them bicker because we did not grow up with that. So we don't understand that it's a very much a part of how they communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and I find that really fascinating. Like you're telling me arguing, hitting, punching <laughs> is communication. It's like, what are they trying to communicate other than I hate you? Right. So, um, you know, that's not something I understand very well, but I think what, and I love writing siblings. So it's kind of, it's just really funny. And I think what I'm after when I write about siblings is um, that unconditional have your back loyalty, no matter what. And, um, you know, when it gets interesting is when you turn on that (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you're like, uh, and you do something to, to damage that, that Mm -hmm. unbelievable, you know, solid loyalty. And I mean, I think that must be a hurt that goes deep, Mm -hmm. which is why you got to write a whole book about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I knew I was out of my depth when they were probably about five and six and we're just at each other and I got onto my daughter and my son turned around and was like don't yell at her and like <laughs> threw his arm around her and let her out of the room and I'm like I clearly have no idea what I'm yeah. doing here. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue yeah yeah so on the shelves in the bookstore um you know, we have some really clearly defined genres, you know, that we all know. So we talk a lot about romance. I talk about horror because that's one of the things I, you know, read and Dawn likes her thrillers. So women's fiction is technically a genre, but a lot of people I think are confused by what does that mean? And is it sexist to call it women's fiction in the first place? Cause is there men's fiction, which, you know, I always think of those as dad books, the men's fiction. <laughs> so in your mind, where does your book fit the best, do you think? So how would you categorize yours? Yeah, it's a great question because, um, you know, if you walk into a bookstore, they don't, they don't granulate the categories, right. Of Mm -hmm. fiction, Mm -hmm. um, except a lot of them will have a romance section Mm -hmm. and a mystery section. I think the bigger ones like Barnes and Noble have mystery thriller romance, but that's it. Everything else falls under general fiction. And, um, but if you go on things like, you know, a digital site like Amazon, they're going to granulate it. Uh, I think they've got um, 
sibling fiction, family life fiction. Um, my book's categorized as those plus women's domestic life, um, all of which sounds kind of weird. <laughs> the, um, the paperback version of my book, I think, will be further categorized as contemporary women's fiction. Um, I wouldn't even know to think of those terms if I went searching, but it's I often feel like I am looking for a book that might be women's fiction and I don't know how to search for it, um, you know, or uh, book sites will say categorize your book. Um, is it thriller, romance, you know, et cetera. And I'm like, no, it's, it's women's fiction. It's, it's just fiction. I mean, where does that fall in? Where does this mm -hmm. whole genre fall in? So I think um, it's really hard. And this is why people struggle with it. It's really hard to say it's about a woman's journey typically. Mm -hmm. And um, I like to, to think women's fiction is as uh, it's about a woman who transforms over the course of the book. And um, often it's a very satisfying transformation. Sometimes it's not. And that's, that's, you know, cool too. <laughs> um, I always like my stories to have a happily ever after ending, but doesn't always have to. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the other part of it too is book club fiction sort of right. falls in there too. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess, you know, the answer is, I don't know. Yes, it's sexist to call it women's fiction because it assumes everything else is just men's fiction. Um, but, it, you know, how do you categorize women's journeys? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, goes, it does fall under general fiction a lot of times. Yeah, I think that's the challenge because there are readers out there who want this and sometimes don't yeah. know what to call it. So it's like, yeah. or, you know, as a romance author, I'll have people come up and be like, my favorite romance author is so-and-so. And I'm like, well, actually, because I'm that, I am that person who says, well, actually, you know, I can't just <laughs> say, cool, but we love her anyway. <laughs> And I have a lesson out of things, but um, I'll say, well, actually, you know, that's a, a women's fiction author, mainly because there'll be, it's an author who writes like cheating in the book or something, you know, or it doesn't end happily necessarily or something like that, which in romance, romance has pretty strict rules. Yeah. Whereas general fiction, you have a lot more flexibility on, you know, what kind of elements you can have. If you write a romance and you don't give a happy ending, people come for you with torches. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's not good as they should, right? It's required. <laughs> yes. That is what you're, you know, just like if you wrote a mystery and didn't solve it, um, you know, your mystery writer or mystery readers will not be happy. So I kind of think of it as like, I know it when I see it and it's just from being a reader for a long time. But to me, um, I see it as, like you said, a focus on the woman's journey. Um, there often are many other elements brought in. So it could be like yours with, it's a woman's journey, but it's also a sibling story, a family story, or it's a woman's journey and there's, it's really about her friend group. So there's not just about her or, you know, whatever it is, but there's, and I'm going to give some recommendations later that even some of them have paranormal elements now. So it's like, mm -hmm. they're really blending a lot, I think because of the Amazon thing, whereas we don't necessarily focus on the category in the bookstore as much, um, people can start meshing genres together and saying, well, it can fall in all these different like granular subjects. So I think that's interesting. I really, as a reader, I like that because I'm like, oh, I think I'm reading a paranormal book. And then I'm like, this is really women's fiction. You could switch out the paranormal element for mm -hmm. a cancer diagnosis. And it would be like the same journey. Um, I have a, I'm going to talk about a book about that, but I went online to do, you know, my research and to get an official definition from writersrelief.com, they defined it as women's fiction embraces themes that revolve around the home, family, and community, 
Often women's fiction asks the characters to overcome some staggering real life challenges like divorce or cancer, job loss, betrayal. So yours would fall under the betrayal. Um, so I thought, you know, it's not a perfect definition, but I think that at least gets us started on the general idea. Yeah, I think it can go, it ha- and it has the potential to just go so much deeper than that too. Mm-hmm. Yes, those are really great themes because most of us live those themes. But um, if you, you can absolutely focus a whole story around something um, like, gosh, I can't, of course now I'm blanking, right? Sure. But, um, you know, uh, depression or um, mm-hmm. something more personal, something a little smaller that we don't always talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Of course now I'm blanking, but um, you can really find every aspect of our lives. Um, and I think that women, <laughs> you know, have incredibly rich layered lives where we don't talk about every single part of it. We do a lot and there's so much there. Um, and women's fiction <clears throat> takes all of that and can pull elements and strings out of that really, really well. And um, to me, some of the best women's fiction is, are the ones that take something we didn't think about, but it's inherently important to our lives. And again, blanking, don't have an example. <laughs> um, and, and by the end of the book, you're like, well, I didn't think of it that way. And it makes me feel better about maybe part of what I'm going through with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think even things like not fitting in with the mom's group at school, could be a story, you know, like something small like that, that is actually big in somebody's personal life. And I think it also can run the gamut between light and dark. They can get really, really dark, you know, and sad, but there's also, you know, the very lighter end, which back in the day used to be called chiclet, you know, but there's, those books are still out there too, where it's like friend groups and like the early, 20 stuff that's, you know, going through, um, that they're going through. So, well, and I think also when you really step back and look at it, because it's talking about the themes that we all deal with, like if you took like the movie, bad moms that I adore, that would be women's fiction. If you mm-hmm. had it in a book, because it's, I mean, yeah, she gets a hot guy or whatever, but it's also the story of her changing from where she starts to where she ends. Mm-hmm. and you could take out the hot guy I mean we don't want to but you can take <laughs> out the hot guy and that story still exists and I think that kind of is what separates it from romance is you could take usually the love interest is not the main thing which you got to be careful about because sometimes it doesn't end the way you want it to mm-hmm. and us romance readers aren't used to that we we don't deal with that well in some situations <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of women's fiction can have a romantic thread, right? Mine does. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I always like to put that in. I've had some interesting reader feedback that, you know, talked about, Oh, I didn't think that was needed. Um, I thought it was needed. I like it, but you're right that it's always a B plot, you know, it's a B plot element. It's never, it's never the the main focus. Um, But you you had a great example with like, you know, friend groups at school or, you know, um, frustration. That was, of course, that hit me as you were talking. Mm -hmm. Frustration is, is something that we all feel in different ways. And that could be a whole novel around that Mm -hmm. Um, pressures, just all the little pressures. Uh, Yeah. So I think, you know, and, and those play out in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a genre that people should explore, especially if you're kind of, you know, a lot of people read in their one kind of genre. So they're just romance readers or they're just thriller readers. And I think there's so much there in that general fiction zone that we can dig into that we will find things that we like about like the romantic subplot. 
I generally like my women's fiction to have a romantic subplot because I'm primarily a romance reader. So I'm like, oh, yay, there's, you know, a romance. Um, but somebody who only reads other stuff might be like, oh, why is there a romance? So it's, you're kind of playing in a, a scary zone because like, I at least know what my readers want because <laughs> it's like a defined thing, but you're like, you could go either way. So you can, you know, piss off some readers and make some other readers happy. <laughs> So. Which is generally just called being an author. Right. I mean, that's just what you are. <laughs> fair point, fair point. So now that we've talked kind of what it's generally about, the easiest way to um, explain it is just give examples. So we have lots of recommendations for you guys. So hopefully you find some stories in here that you would want to try and give a shot. And obviously you're all going to go buy Sierra's book too, because it sounds great. So um, Sierra, you have recommendations for us. So what have you brought to us um, for our readers or our listeners. Yeah. So I am currently reading Thank You for Listening by Julia Whalen. And it is a lot of fun. And actually, there's a great discussion uh, by the characters in there of what is women's fiction oh. and what is romance, which <laughs> is very appropriate. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> and uh, and it's a fun discussion. So it's it's a great book. I also recently read Less by Andrew Sean Greer, which I loved. Um, over the summer, I read As Seen on TV by Meredith Shore, which is an incredibly fun rom-com, and Nothing But the Truth by Holly James, a feisty feminist take on the Jim Carrey movie Liar Liar, oh. and um, I read a great thriller, The Last Housewife by Ashley Winstead, which came out in August, which is mm-hmm. super intense, but really good. Yeah. Now, Ashley Winstead is In My Dreams, I'll Hold a Knife, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, which we talked about on the podcast. We talked about that one um, in the past because that was a great book. And Julia Whalen, I haven't read that one, but I have it on my list. She is an audiobook narrator, right? She is. And I actually, her, her name came across my radar because I had listened to an audiobook The Last Summer at the Golden Hotel by Elise Friedland, which Julia Whalen narrated. And, and I listened to it as I, as I did a six-hour car drive. And I'm like, gosh, this is a great narrator and you know really brings me in and it was it was a great experience so when I saw her name I'm like oh great and it's actually about an audiobook narrator so it's it's a good read yeah that's cool and I have the golden hotel book I haven't read it yet it's one of my book of the month that are sitting unread on my shelf um but that one has like a dirty dancing vibe right like it's set at a resort kind of like the Kellerman's yes. dirty dancing resort yeah Kind of yeah, in the Catskills, which is near to, I think, where the where Dirty Dancing took place. Yeah, yep, totally. yeah, totally. It's a good one. All right, Dawn, you have a recommendation for us? Well, I have to recommend, I, this has been my rad wreck before, but I just adore this book. And it is Angry Housewives Eating Bonbons by Lorna Landvik. <laughs> and first of all, it's the best title ever. But as I mentioned before, it is about the women of a specific neighborhood that it starts, um, I believe, I should have looked, I I believe it starts in like the 50s or the 60s, but it is their lives as wives and mothers and dealing with neighborhood politics and they decide to form a book club. And that's how they start to all get to be friends is they form a book club. And one of the men um, who you just don't like a whole lot uh, mentioned, talks about how, oh, all that book club is angry housewives eating bonbons. And so that's what they named their book club. (laughs) And it is a, 
I would call it a saga because it follows their lives over decades. And you see what happens. It's one of those, you find out the truth behind what's going on behind everybody's happy, oh, my family's perfect type image that they're putting out there. So I definitely recommend that one. It is Angry Housewives Eating Bonbons by Lorna Landvik. And my first rec is going to be an author who I've talked about before. So I'm just going to give you kind of my three favorites by her and give brief descriptions because I've covered these books on previous episodes, you can go back and listen to more detailed descriptions, but um, Taylor Jenkins Reid has become a huge name in publishing. So bestseller and, you know, main general fiction kind of books, big books, but she has old school Taylor Jenkins Reid books. That is where I found her originally that were, you know, first in paperback, um, very clearly solidly women's fiction. They usually always have a romantic thread. Um, And as much as I like her newer stuff, her old stuff is still closer to my heart. Like it was, you know, just the books that I really fell in love with her, her voice. So the first one and my very favorite is One True Loves. So that one is Emma's deeply in love with her new husband, but on their first anniversary, his helicopter goes down and he's not found. So it fast forwards in the book and years later, she's like, put her life back together. She's going, you know, through all this grief and she meets Sam, who's an old friend and they fall for each other and they get engaged, but then her husband is found. Um, and it turns out he's been trying to get to her this whole time. And there's reasons, you know, book reasons for that. And so now she has to decide she really, you know, she loves both of them. So one true loves is hence the title. Um, and it's a real, you know, dilemma. So really well done. Um, and you're going to be, you know, as a reader, you know, you're going to end up disappointed at least in one aspect because it's not going to be a Minaj story. <laughs> so, you know, she's going to have to make a choice. Um, it's not a Ronnie Loren book, but okay. And then <laughs> Her other one, um, maybe in another life. So this one, the hook is that the heroine goes out to a bar one night with her friend and she meets this guy. And when it's time to go home, she has a decision to make. So does she go home with the friend or does she go home with the guy? And what the book does after that is it follows two parallel storylines, two parallel universes of if she makes one choice and if she makes the other, what happens in her life. And if you follow the podcast, you know that I love a book that plays with like alternate timelines or, you know, time travel or any of that. And this kind of has that vibe for me of like the, what if it's the sliding doors concept, you know, what if you do this or that? I am obsessed with that idea. One day I'll write a book about it. I'm sure, but I love a book with that. So that's maybe in another life. And then after I do, um, the premise is there's a married couple that they decide to take one year off from their marriage with no contact and they can see other people. So this is why this wouldn't be a romance. Cause we'd already have the cheating thing and romance readers would come at you. Um, but so they do this and then they have to decide if at the end of that year, come back together and see if they want to stay together or be divorced. So that is a high concept, um, premise to me that you can just say it and you know, you know what you're getting into. So if you want some good women's fiction with some romantic stuff in it, um, but she can break your heart too. So just be warned, but that's old school Taylor Jenkins read. So, all right, Sierra, do you have another one? I do. I recently read The Catch by Alison Fairbrother, which is about a woman whose father has died and she leaves uh, or he leaves um, an unexpected item to her that she was not thinking he would leave to her and she was expecting something else and sort of their their whole relationship, which she thought was really wonderful and close, is thrown into question. And so she's really grappling with who she is now, where she's going, the choices she's about to make um, with her grief and what her father was thinking, which of course she can't ask him because he's passed away. So it's it's a really lovely family story. It's a good sibling story and it's a good personal growth story. Perfect, perfect for women's fiction. <laughs> yeah. 
I love a book that plays with the concept of like, this person has, is now gone. And then you find out this big thing, like, and you have to grapple with now I can't get the real answers or I have to go find these answers. I, that's an interesting concept to me, but. Right. And you have to, the, you know, the main character is going to have to, you know, figure it out in flail around doing it. And that's really the story is, and where do we come out from that? You know, mm-hmm. do we come out having grown or do we come out, you know, worse off? That's the story. Right. Happy ending or tragedy. You never know. <laughs> so, Dawn, do you have another one for us? Well, my, that kind of leads into mine because my other one is Why Moms Are Weird by Pamela Riven. And I've mentioned this briefly on the podcast before when we talked about books that hook you immediately. And this book just hooks you immediately because it starts off with this woman who has grown and living on her own and very proud of her independence. And it starts off with her mom calling her to tell her that she has an STD, that the mom (laughs) has an STD. (laughs) And like, literally, she's like, you know, hey, mom, and mom just blurts this out. And it has a great line in it because it says there's not enough cuss words for this situation. And I can totally identify with that. I totally, totally identify with that. But it is the story of Belinda, who everybody calls Benny, and she has moved away from her family and lives in LA and gets this phone call from her mom and kind of deals with that. And then her mom and her sister are in a car wreck and her mom is injured, not seriously. I think she like breaks her leg or something like that. And so she is like, I'm going to go home to Virginia. I'm going to take care of everything. And she gets there and realizes they don't exactly want her there. That it's not that they don't like her, but she doesn't fit in that world anymore. Her mom and her sister really don't feel like they need rescuing. And her mom's got this thriving sex life and her sister's out kind of doing some wild stuff. And so she decides that she's just going to fix everything that's broken. Like physically, there's things actually wrong with this house which brings in a kind of hot repairman, but there's things wrong with the house and she's going to fix her personal lives. And eventually she um, finds a stack of letters that reveals the secret about her mom and everything kind of starts changing. And she realizes I've got to figure this out. I've got to fix, not necessarily fix my family. It's more about kind of accepting your family where they're at Mm -hmm. and decide do I still belong here or is it okay that I belong over there and they're still here? So that is why moms are weird by Pamela Riven. You definitely get the award for the best titles on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) You picked ones with really good titles. Um, My next one I talked about pretty extensively before because it's, it was a rad wreck. It'll probably be one of my favorite reads of the year when I do my list, you know, getting that time of year and we have to do that list, but it's this time tomorrow by Emma Straub. Um, So once again, there's time travel, you know, I can't resist it, but um, this one is, you know, she goes out drinking one night. I think she's like late thirties, maybe about to turn 40. And she ends up like passing out in her dad's shed. Her dad is very sick um, and nonverbal at this point. Like he can't talk with her. Um, So she passes out in his shed and she wakes up and she's in her 16 year old body in her 16 year old bedroom. Um, I think it's her birthday. If I'm getting that right. I didn't write my notes detailed on this one, but Um, And now she can live the day with her dad when she's, you know, 16, but if she changes things, you know, it's time travel. So it can change things in the future, but she only gets the one day. So whenever she falls asleep, she's back 
in her real life, um, whatever changes she made are affected, you know, by the time she gets to her real life, but she can go back and every time she goes back, it's the same day. So if she like changes something she doesn't like, she can kind of go and reset it, but there are consequences for going back too many times so that, you know, it's not, you can indefinitely change things, but it's, it's really, a, it's heart, a story about a father daughter relationship. And it's so lovely and just well done. And, um, you know, Emma Straub kind of writes a lot of different types of books. They fall more solidly into general fiction. But for this one, I felt this was really about um, the heroine's journey and that family relationship. So that's This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub. Um, and then another one that's related, because also time travel, also parent relationship, I have a theme, was One Italian Summer by Rebecca Searle. So this one, she's healing from the loss of her mother. She goes and flies to Italy. Um, they were supposed to take a trip together and her mother passes away before they can. So she's going to go on the trip herself. Um, but when she shows up in Italy, her mom is there in her twenties, like her age. So she, the mom doesn't know her because she hasn't had her yet in that life. Um, so she gets to, you know, kind of see her mom before she was a mom, before she was a married woman. Um, and it's just, you know, it's about grief. It's about healing from this, you know, deep loss. And then you also get, you know, a beautiful Italian summer location. So that also, you know, lots of food and different things. There's, you know, lots of things mixed in, but that's one Italian summer by Rebecca Searle. Okay. So this is another one with a great title because it's things we wish were true by Mary Beth Mayhew Whalen. And this one, when you read the back cover copy, it reads kind of like a mystery, which is what originally drew me into it but it's really not as much of a mystery as you expect it to be. And it is a story that takes place in Sycamore Glen, North Carolina, which looks like the perfect all-American neighborhood. And it's, you know, again, everybody's putting on this image of everything's fine. We're all fine. It's all fine. And then something happens and there's, it brings back memories of things that had happened in the past and it starts kind of this domino effect and it brings back this one woman who has been gone for years because of something that happened a long time ago. And over the course of the summer, all the secrets come out and the neighbors start learning that they don't really know each other and they don't really know what happened. And maybe people don't need to be banished for things that you didn't quite understand the situation. So it's one of those that it's the neighbors learn that it's impossible to really know those closest to us, but is it impossible to love and forgive them is part of the back cover copies. So that is Things We Wish Were True by Mary Beth Mayhew Whalen. My next one's going to go through quickly. So Someday, Someday, Maybe by Lauren Graham. Yes, that Lauren Graham of Gilmore Girls. She writes books sometimes too. Um, this one is set in 1995. It's about an aspiring actress in New York who's given herself a three-year deadline to make it and things aren't going as planned. So if you want something a little more lighthearted, a you know, a kind of nod back to quote unquote chiclet, but without the cosmos, you know, um, and, and the fact that it's set in 1995 is fun because, you know, it's just, a it was a different world in 95. So we, all three of us, I think were, you know, a certain age in 95, that was my teen years, but um, so really great. And then the Sweet Spot by Trish Dollar. I wanted to give an example that has a strong romantic thread. So in that one, Rachel's a single mom. She's fired from a hotel job and she ends up taking a job at a new brewery hotel on this little island in Lake Erie. And it's run by, of course, a reclusive grumpy dude. So we have you know, grump, grumpy hero. Um, and when she arrives, 
the hotel isn't exactly finished. Like he said, we need you to come run the hotel or whatever, but she shows up and it's kind of not ready yet. Um, so, you know, antics ensue, but I actually gave the cover quote for this one because I got to read an early copy. So my cover quote is reading the sweet spot is like wearing bunny slippers and drinking cocoa in a blanket for it with a really hot guy, the ultimate comfort read to escape into when you need a break from the world. So if you're looking for what that kind of cozy, um, you know, it's going, we're in the fall, we're going into winter, if you want that kind of read. Um, and I use this one as an example in the class I teach on romance writing, because I'm really into the black moment in a book. Like I love a dark black moment, especially in romance when I really am going to worry, even though I know it's going to be a happy ending. Like I love having that feeling, but there is a place for a gray moment. And this book is a good example of having a gray moment where you really aren't that worried. Like, you know, it's going to work out. And so I think post pandemic, well, we're not post pandemic, but since the pandemic, um, I think there are more spots in my life that a gray moment book is okay. Like that I need something that it's, I know it's going to be okay all the way throughout. And so that was a good, good comfort read for me. So that's a sweet spot by Trish Dollar. And then the examples I was referring to earlier, I just talked about these last week or two weeks ago. So I'm not going to go deeply into it, but it was the first time I've read paranormal that had women's fiction vibes. So this is cackle, um, and such, such sharp teeth. So these are both by Rachel Harrison Cackle has a witch thread. So she meets a lady in the woods and she's going through something in her life. And the lady in the woods happens to be a witch. And then why such- do these people keep ending up in the woods? And I'm just telling you right now, if I am ever in the woods, first of all, I need help. We know this, but if I am ever in the woods and I meet some random woman, we are not having a conversation. <laughs> One of the most extroverted people you will ever meet. I will talk to anyone. I am not talking to the strange woman in the woods. The witch helps her though. She's a nice witch. Of course she does. <laughs> so, For a price, there is always a price. And I like my teeth. So. so, well, what I liked about this one is the witch kind of had like a feminist bend to it. Like it was like living your own life as a woman, not needing a guy in your life. Like it was just a, an interesting thread that she went in that book. Um, and then such sharp teeth, the heroine accidentally becomes a werewolf. She gets bitten, not by choice. Um, and she's now got this thing she's got to deal with. And that's the one that I said, it could have been cancer. It could have been some injury and it would have been the same story of how her journey is because it's, I have this new thing I have to deal with. Basically it's a disease, you know, once a month, I'm going to turn into a nightmare, which some of us do anyway, <laughs> but, you know, um, <laughs> just sounds like menopause to me. Oh, let's say I mean. larger <laughs> metaphor, maybe. Um, yeah. But I love that it's really about the woman's journey in the book, even though the paranormal is there, it's not really so much about the wolfiness um, or the process of becoming a wolf and all of those things. Warning, those do have some horror elements too. So those sensitive readers, it does get a little gross on some of the (laughs) the stuff. So FYI. Um, And then my last one was one that has a suspense element, but this irritates me and y'all can chime in if you have opinions on this, but Sometimes a book is marketed as domestic suspense when it is not a suspense novel. And it's fine that it's not a suspense novel. I really liked this book, but the way it's like marketed is sending it to the wrong readers, I think. Um, So this is The Mother-in-Law by Sally Hepworth. It was clearly marketed as domestic suspense, but it's really a story about Lucy who has never bonded with her mother-in-law and what that relationship does in her life. So her mother-in-law never really likes her. You know, she can't connect with her. It's she's the heroine's really trying, like she's doing all the things that we do, you know, to try to get our mother-in-laws on our side and it's just not working. She's, her mother-in-law is very kind of closed up and, you know, 
proper and all of these things. And then she's found dead with a suicide note. And the note says something about, she doesn't want to suffer from cancer. She doesn't want to slow, you know, process. So she committing suicide or dying by suicide. And, but when they do the autopsy, there's traces of poison in her system and there's no illness. So there is a suspense element, right? It's there, but it is not what the book is about. The book is about the heroine trying to find out what happened and going back and seeing things about her mother-in-law and learning things that she didn't know. And so it really is a story about the two women um, and really well done. So I'm just putting it out there to the, whoever's marketing these books. So just, you know, we don't have to always have suspense. It's okay. And we, we like women's fiction too. Um, that's the mother-in-law by Sally Hepworth. All right. Well, now it's time for that thing we do every time, which is our rad reading recs of the week. So these are the books that are like the top of the top um, of our list that we want y'all to read. And we put it on a page on the website, all of our rad recs from every episode. So Dawn, what is your rad rec of the week? Well, I'm sticking with my theme of finding great titles. <laughs> and so this is Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine by Gail Honeyman. And first of all, when you're trying to type this out, no autocorrect, it is not Eleanor Elephant. <laughs> it's not, I know what I'm doing, back off. Um, but this book was everywhere several years ago. And I read it during that time and I liked it and I even um, blogged about it. And then I kind of, it kind of drifted from my brain and we started talking about this and I was like, oh, I loved this one. And so the back cover copy is meet Eleanor Oliphant. She struggles with appropriate social skills and tends to say exactly what she's thinking. Nothing is missing in her carefully timetabled life of avoiding social interactions where weekends are punctuated by frozen pizza, vodka, and phone chants phone chats with mummy. Um, I got to say, first of all, frozen pizza and vodka were friends. Um, but everything changes when Eleanor meets Raymond, a bumbling, deeply unhygienic IT guy from her office. When she and Raymond together save Sammy, an elderly gentleman who has fallen on the sidewalk, the three become the kind of friends who rescue one another from the lives of isolation that they have each been living. And it's Raymond's big heart that will ultimately help Eleanor find the way to repair her own profoundly damaged one. So what I loved about this book is it was just different. It was different than your standard contemporary romance. I would consider it women's fiction because it really is about her and about the changes she goes through. It's also set in Scotland and it's like normal everyday Scotland. It's not like Outlander Scotland. And so it was interesting to like read all the differences in the culture and the different phrases that they use. And I have this slight obsession with the great British Bake Off. And there's a Scottish guy on there that I'm sure says amazing things, but I cannot understand a word coming out of his <laughs> mouth. And so that's who I was hearing when I was reading this. Um, Eleanor does take a while to kind of settle in as a character because in the beginning, it's hard to tell if there's something atypical about her, if she's just being rude. And then when the backstory is revealed and you find out the reasons for her behavior, it doesn't quite solve that for you, which I think is kind of part of this genre as well, is they don't want to give you all of the answers. And um, it also is, it still has tons of emotion. It's got great side characters. It's a little bit of a slow pace, but it's got this great offbeat humor that's fabulous. And I would say the signal on that, that it's not a romance, if anybody is looking to look for signals, is the description of the guy is unhygienic, would never make it on the back <laughs> of a romance novel. <laughs> right. Never. 
<laughs> if we get scratched up our editor, no, 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 we can't be unhygienic. So I do have a rack for you, Don. If you loved that, uh, you'll love the cactus by Sarah Haywood, which is also set in the UK. And it's very similar in that the main character, uh, in this case, Susan Green, is like a cactus. You can't get too close. She likes things perfectly ordered and predictable and very lined up. Um, but she's suddenly confronted with the loss of her mother. So this is very similar themes to Eleanor um, Oliphant. And uh, but the, the twist here is that in the cactus, she's uh, she's unexpectedly pregnant and her greatest fear is realized she's losing control. So it's a great story about where she finds allies and getting through her own grief with her mother and giving things a chance if she can let go. Yeah. So I think you'll like that one too. I think I've seen the cover of that one. Doesn't it have a really cool cover. I think it does. Looked, yeah. I'm looking at the cover. It's one of the cartoon covers, but they're actual people with faces, which I greatly appreciate because the non-face thing freaks me out. And it's very pretty. <laughs> so I will check that out. I will add that to my list right now. Awesome. Um, and my rhetoric of the week is not women's fiction, but it's kind of adjacent. It's um, more of technically a historical romance, but it's A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting by Sophie Irwin. Um, so if you're looking for something that has like a pride and prejudice vibe or a Bridgerton vibe, but not as much sex as Bridgerton. So this is a um, PG one, but Kitty needs a husband to save her and her four sisters from poverty, but she doesn't have connections to the upper class. So she goes to her aunt's house in London for the season to try to secure a match of decent standing. Her aunt was an actress. Um, so she's on the edges of society. You know, actresses weren't in polite society, but they were, they could kind of move on the edges of it. So she has enough connections to get her foot in the door in some you know, parties and things. So Kitty ends up getting involved with a high ranking family, first pursuing their second son, who's kind of this like naive, easily manipulated kind of, you know, foppy guy, just, he's nice, but he's, you know, sweet, <laughs> not, not, not the brightest bulb on the tree. Um, but the oldest brother, James Radcliffe, who is titled and looking for her, out for his brother, he sees Kitty as like fortune hunting for what it is. And he gets in the way, like pretty much over my dead body, you're going to, you know, hook my um, little brother into this marriage. So of course he ends up being the hero, right? This, this angry older brother. Um, and I raced through this one in like 24 hours. I really liked how calculating and determined the heroine was because she had a really strong motivation. It wasn't like, I want this money because I want nice things. It was my sisters will literally be taken from me and be put into, you know, positions that they're going to have to be in really bad situations. So she has everything on the line. So she is willing to do whatever it takes. And in historical romance, you do get a lot of feisty heroines, but I found her really like tougher than some of the other ones I've read. Like she is like, I'm not apologizing for this. Not, oh, so sorry, I'm doing this. Like, no, I, it is my job to protect my sister. So I really like that. Um, and there's also really great sparring and banter between the hero and heroine. So my only sadness, and this is personal, was that it was fully PG. So it's just kisses, you know, nothing. Um, you don't see anything else, but it's a sparkly, you know, fantastic read. It has a really great cover. So it's an illustrated cover, but um, kind of like with vines on it and it's a really pretty color. So if you, you know, are into covers, it was good. So this is A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting by Sophie Irwin. And Sierra, you said you had one related to this. 
I did. I thought that you might like the Countess of Harley series by Diane Freeman. And there's six books in that series. The first one is A Lady's Guide to Etiquette and Murder. And it also has those great Bridgerton vibes with the, in the Pride and Prejudice. And I think it's pretty PG, so fair warning to you. Um, but it, they're, they're a lot of fun. And that's a whole series. So awesome. I haven't out. heard of that one. I'll have to look it up. So thank yeah. you. All right, you guys. Well, we did it. Um, Sierra, thank you so much for coming. And I want to give a shout out first before you give your information on where to find you online. Sierra has a great newsletter, you guys. So I am extremely picky about newsletters. I'm a complete snob about them. Um, I try to pay attention to mine to make it to where it's not just advertising my own books all the time. So I really appreciate it when other authors put as much time into their newsletters. And there's always something interesting. There's usually something about cats as well, correct? Don't you have a cat of the day or something? I do. <laughs> yes, love that. So tell us where people can find you so they can sign up for your newsletter and find your book. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute blast talking with you. Um, you can find me at sierragodfrey.com and I'm at Sierra Godfrey on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Awesome. <laughs> you got your name, name on all of them. I never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you can sign up for my newsletter all over my website. Awesome. And we'll put her links in the show notes as well. You guys, if you go look at show notes. So, and Dawn, where can they find us if they need to find us? Well, you can always find us at, at Rad Reading Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. And you can find me at, at Don Alexander Books and Ronnie at, at Ronnie Loren. Yep. All right. Well, thanks everyone. And we hope um, that any book you pick up before we see you next time is Rad Reading. Bye. Bye. Bye.